0: running boom of the 70s came during simpler pre-internet times. A unique cast of characters riding that wave came of age. You never knew who would show up, and races became household names, attracting capacity fields year in and year out. Co-hosts Ron Galuli, John Gorman, and Grant Whitney, inspired by the first runners' reunion in 2019, speak with some of the characters of the era, share their stories, and where they are today. There's something for everyone in each installment of the Runners Reunion podcast. Good afternoon, Runners Reunion listeners. It's a late March afternoon with typical uh, New England weather, just getting ourselves ready for Boston, not that far, maybe a fortnight away. And we're delighted to have as our guest this afternoon, the first and only five-time Olympic trials qualifier, and New England uh, road-running fixture, Julie Peterson. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for joining us on the Runners' Reunion podcast.
1: You are welcome. Glad to be here.
0: We've got a lot of material uh, to get through, but uh, to set the stage for our listeners, I I realized with some chagrin that the four of us may have good or bad memories about back in the day, in gym class, the presidential fitness exercise the test that I recall doing at least twice a year from probably fifth grade all the way through high school. But if if memory serves, Julie, it sounds like that actually played an important role in your self-discovery of yourself as a runner.
1: It absolutely did. So I grew up um, in a family with um, three brothers and I felt like um, in my junior high years, I was doing their paper route a lot while they were playing sports. And when I got to high school um, in the 10th grade, we had a presidential fitness test. And um, one of the things we had to do was run a half mile on the track. And that day, I remember running the half and I beat everyone in the class. And I don't know if just maybe nobody else was trying. But my gym teacher, Mrs. Cummings, said to me, Julie, you ought to go out for the track team. And I was like, oh, that might be fun. So that kind of got the ball rolling um, in terms of my running.
2: But but that
0: was not as a freshman. This was not you know, this was, you know, you're into high school at this point. Am I Yeah. Right? So
1: when I went to high school, it was um, at Beverly High. It was 10, 11 and 12. So it was actually in the 10th grade.
0: And so so tell us how that felt. What was that like to show up? You know, if now was this was the test in the fall getting ready for the spring or, or how long was it between the two events? Um, It
1: was in the spring. And I, I think I had played um, in high school, I played field hockey all of my seasons, and then I would run either winter or winter and spring track. So it was in the spring that I um, tried out for the cross country team or the track team, excuse me.
0: And so Did it you take to it like a fish to water or was it a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more challenging? Can kind of describe, if you could, your your sense of those those early track days. What did I get myself into? Or, wow, this is you know, this is something that that I really feel like it's home to me.
1: Sure, Yeah, it's funny to look back, because really, I think um, like when I was running spring track, the season would literally start a week before you know, you would start running. So I always felt like you never really got in shape until, you know, toward the end of the season. I, when I ran spring track, I remember um, pretty much just running the quarter or the 800, whereas as long as I would go, because there were a couple of other athletes, like there was one female athlete named Sarah Lance, who was a really good miler. So pretty much I was pegged into running the either the quarter or the half mile, which seemed like a long way to go, because I don't think I was ever really that fit <laughs> during the right. season.
2: So, uh,
0: but if I am thinking back accurately here, it wasn't too long after that first, um, you know, that, that first track season that you debuted on the roads. Is Is that fair to say?
1: Um, You know, it was actually my senior year. I debuted on the roads before going off to college. I ran my first road race, uh, Beverly Homecoming. And I remember um, the night before the race, actually going out and running the five miles to make sure that I could finish the race the next night. (laughs) So I managed to um, do a five mile or two nights in a row and came in second place. And I kind of sparked an interest in me that I thought, geesh, maybe I will try out for the cross-country team this fall instead of trying out for the field hockey team at UMass. So that's kind of... Oh,
0: okay. So that's an important... That. That, was, that was an important milestone then because Absolutely. it... Oh, interesting. I don't think I was aware of that that decision point on field hockey versus. Okay, so now you've. You, would it be fair to say, were you lightly recruited coming out of high school?
1: You know, I really wasn't, and I think oh, it was. Okay. You know, I remember when it was my opportunity to look at schools. I had two brothers in college. My oldest brother was in community college, and then my brother, two years older than me, was at Bentley. And I remember my parents saying, "You know, pick your state school." And I just decided sight unseen that I got into UMass and that's where I would go. Okay. Uh, so it really, I, I wasn't, you know, I was an okay runner. I certainly wasn't, a, you know, a standout in high school by any means.
0: So we, you would not take offense if we called you a walk-on. Uh, into, the, into that fall cross country. So yeah. w- w- when you think back to that, um, it was like yesterday, let's face it. It was like yesterday, right? <laughs> the, the years <laughs> just blend. They a, do. A, <laughs> yeah. Um, what was your because you, you just mentioned that you started you, the roads kind of gave you the idea? What, what do you remember from that first season of competitive cross country having not run it really before?
1: you know it was funny i I went on to umass and i think i was a little overwhelmed with how big the school was i had a dorm room in southwest which was where the high rises were and it was such a big school and i was so thankful to be on this cross-country team i really bonded with um the other female athletes on the team they became my friends and i was just it was really the glue that that kept me at umass and made me feel at home just being totally overwhelmed with the size of the school, to tell you the truth.
0: There we go. Family within family, the family unit within the university. Yeah. So would you, how would you characterize the size of the women's squad? Was it separate and and independent of the men's? Was there any interaction or was it just...
1: You know, we all worked out of this place called The Cage, but we pretty much did our own own workouts. I don't remember um, doing any workouts with the men's team, but it was so funny. I remember like you would go to The Cage and we got a pair of um, used Nike waffle trainers, you know, that someone had worn from the season before. And, um, you know, every day when you showed up to practice, you would go to this guy named Buck and get your gray shorts and gray t-shirt to wear every day before your before your track workout, um, it was funny. The I was when I first started running, I really hadn't been consistently running the summer before, so I remember just the workouts being pretty hard when I first started. Like we, our first coach was Jane Wells on my freshman year, and I remember there'd be three groups of runners, and I would always pick the shortest group to run because that was as you know all I could really handle oh, initially. But and, you know- and 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 I'm
0: sorry, didn't mean to finish it. Finish that oh, up, please. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so you got through successfully through the fall. How many races would you say were on the schedule? Was it um, every I'm guessing weekend? Probably, or?
1: probably eight, or 10, okay. eight
0: or 10. So pretty solid. And it was, yeah. were they three mile 5k more or less? Or were there shorter distances mixed in? Um,
1: yeah, usually they were like a 5k. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And so if you had to say, where would you say you tended to finish that first fall on on a pretty- you know, average basis, regularly Yeah. Basis.
1: I'd say by the end of the season, I moved up to on the team consistently being like third, fourth, fifth place, which was great. Cause I think initially I started out, I was probably 11th or 12th.
0: Okay. And, and so do you think that then helped you know, keep you motivated to at a minimum, think about track in the spring, but what about the intervening, you know, those tough months in, in central mass?
1: Absolutely. And it's so funny because at UMass, you used to have quite a long break after the fall semester. You'd have like a five week break. And I remember coming home um, my freshman year and going right back to work at this job that I had in Beverly called Old Busters. It was a fruit and produce market and not running a step (laughs) And and then getting back and, you know, indoor track started right away. And oh, my gosh, I'd have to work really hard at getting back in shape. I only did that my freshman year. I learned my lesson after that.
0: Oh, I was going to say. I was going to say yeah. injuries must have. You know, were were you did, did you get injured at all, or were were you able to navigate that lack of activity to suddenly intensive um, training?
1: You know, I was pretty lucky in in college. I don't remember really a whole lot of injuries to tell you the truth. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. You got lucky. You had the right people yeah, or something. Huh? Okay.
1: Absolutely um anything
0: memorable in that freshman track season that outdoor track season that that comes to mind Um,
1: you know I think just really enjoying it and I remember um you know the workouts being pretty hard and I remember like being afraid to eat lunch because oh my god after you know at two o'clock in the afternoon you would just be doing a really hard workout so I'll never forget When I came home at Thanksgiving and parents looked at me, oh, my God, what has happened to you? You've lost, you know, I probably lost the the freshman 15 instead of gaining it. Uh, But uh, I just really, I think, got pretty fit pretty quickly.
0: Okay, so so you navigated uh, freshman cross. Despite working at the produce stand, you you were working on your upper body. Let's be honest, Julie. That's That's what you're doing (laughs) over over the semesters there.
1: You got it.
0: And and nothing nothing screamed success. It sounds like in that first outdoor track season. Did you? Then, did you train over the summer? That's sometimes a loaded question with some of our guests. So I think I need to put it out there because yeah,
1: I think I, I think I did. I think I really enjoyed my freshman year and was looking forward to um, going back uh, for sophomore year. So I did. I definitely trained, and I think I did some road races probably during that summer too. Just to have fun and for some of my yeah, new friends. Yeah. And and uh,
0: what was different when you returned to? to Amherst and the, this now, this now enormous place, that perhaps you had a little bit more familiarity with and comfort in.
1: Absolutely. You know, it was funny. My um, sophomore year, Pete was, um, we now had a new coach, Jane, I believe had Jane Walsall, who was our coach had left. Um, and I think she got a job at UPenn. So um, Pete Fitzinger came along and, oh my God, he was just amazing. He was a, a graduate student also, I believe, at the time and he had a very positive outlook with us just um, would do the workouts with us um, it, was, it was just a great team that year we just had so much success so uh, tell me if you
0: would so to help calibrate here what would be what uh year are we talking about we're talking speaking?
1: um the fall of 79 so at that
0: point uh pete had not achieved his notoriety yet uh, no. You know, yeah. 84 is still out there. But, uh guys, am I wrong on this, Pete? Was was he pretty heavily into Greater Bo- uh, Boston Track Club at that point, maybe on some of their cross-country teams and such?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think he was even – uh might have transitioned to New Balance Track Club right around that time. So it was GBTC and then New Balance. Because I do remember, I think I ran Freedom Trail in 19 – 80, and he was there uh, as a New Balance athlete. So did you have a sense,
0: Julie, that this was a guy who was a, an athlete who was doing his thing at the same time he was then giving back, in a way, uh, coaching the women's team? Or did that Absolutely. kind of enter
1: the he, he did a lot of workouts with us. You know, it was really great. I think he just... um just was very positive on race day, you know, really pe- prepping us, preparing us mentally to race. And, you know, I think it really made a difference. A lot of times when we'd go to a meet, you know, on an away course, he would break the course up in like three different sections, you know, we'd run it and he'd have a game plan for us every section of the race. And it really, it really made a huge difference with how we performed. Ron.
2: Yeah, Pete, Pete, Pete definitely took a analytical approach to running and. He could encourage people uh I think to do things um that they didn't think they could do is so positive. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a testament to his coaching ability.
0: And if and if we look at the Amherst team compared to your freshman year, uh describe for us if you would what that sophomore year campaign ended up looking like for you and for the team.
1: Yeah, I think we just got better. I think you know it was a lot of similar runners that were with me in my freshman year, I think we just got better as a team. We just got, had more confidence and stronger and um, just from experience of running.
0: And so uh, how did you all, did did you guys qualify for nationals or were you in that kind of discussion and you individually, were you also making strides in your your own running?
1: Yep. So that year um, our team won the New Englands, which was just incredible for us. You know, it was a division one, New England's, a lot of really good teams with with some really high caliber athletes. And then we ended up going to the nationals down in Tallahassee, Florida. I don't think we did really great there, but it was just fun to qualify for a nationals and to be able to go to, you know, experience that caliber of a race.
0: Nice. So it, it sounds like a real, a, a real step up in, in a lot of ways, both for the team and for you individually between that first and second year. Yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> so did you feel that um, actually running with Pete, you know, compared to, I don't know if the other coach did, but running with Pete actually made you closer or made, made you want to run harder or made you feel better about the running experiments or the team, you know? Yeah,
1: I, I absolutely would say it It made a difference. You know, he would do the intervals with us and um, he just was so supportive of everybody on the team, whether you were number one or number 20, you know, he just was had a really good attitude and really, I think, brought the best out on us.
3: I can see that.
0: So, um, can you give us a sense of the arc of that rest of the year indoors? Were you still working at the produce stand, um, getting um, your upper went, body training in? You nope, know, in still
1: went home, did that job, and then um, I remember having a really good spring season that year, just setting a couple of records at school records. One thing that was really funny looking back is in in 1980. The races that we were running were like, I would run like the two mile, the three mile and at some stage, and I don't know when they switched to meters. So when I went back to UMass for the first time in, believe it or not, 2017, I could not believe I actually had some of the records and I couldn't figure out why I still had them. And then all of a sudden it dawned to me like an hour later, oh, that's why, because now you run instead of the two mile, you know, you run 3000 meters But I had a good I had a really good sophomore year with some really some PRs and some school records, which was really fun.
0: So but it sounds like you've now as we kind of look at your, you know, your trajectory, there is an inflection point. You've got academically or otherwise, you're beginning to look at running and where you're going to school a little bit differently. Can you uh, give us a little insight into terms of what you were thinking about? After that sophomore campaign.
1: Yep. So my um, freshman year, one of my teammates, a woman named Tina Francario, had gone on an exchange program out to University of Oregon and I had stayed in touch with her. And um, so she was a year ahead of me in school. And she said, hey, you should think about going out to Oregon um, your junior year. UMass had a great um, exchange program with a number of schools throughout the country. And I had never been out west. And I thought, oh, this would be really fun to do for a year. So I applied for that exchange program out to Oregon and I got accepted.
0: Was it by design? Was it a kind of a one year thing or it's supposed to
1: only be a year? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I went out there in the fall and, um, you know, I was again, I met um, Tom Heinen, who was the coach out there at the University of Oregon, really nice guy and kind of was a walk on on the team. And uh, it just was a different experience for me. I think I, looking back, I probably trained too hard, really didn't have a good sense of my abilities at the time in terms of pushing too hard. And then the days that were supposed to be easy were, were never easy in terms of, you know, he would send us out to do a five mile easy run along the Willamette River. And it seemed like every workout turned into kind of a racing pace yeah
0: yeah I mean you know <laughs> it, it, even even then Oregon kind of has this reputation men or women it's 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 always kind of been that so I can imagine or I suspect that the, the the team chemistry and kind of the the makeup of the personalities of the team might might be very different than what you had been used to at Amherst can you t- touch on that a little bit and describe what that was like
1: yeah, it was very different. You know, I think there were some really, you know, looking back, who I was running with. I'm, I'm just like some of the things they achieved were just unbelievable. Alberto Salazar's wife Molly was on the team. We had this woman Lisa Martin who was a hurdler when I ran with her in cross country, but she ended up being a silver medalist for um, the Australian um, Olympic team in Seoul. Um, Leon Warren. We just had a lot of really talented fast women, probably uh, just the best of the best. And so it, I think I was a little out of my league in terms of training with them race day. I, I just felt kind of flat a lot and it was just yeah. kind of discouraging. So kind that. of
0: the, kind of the overtrain, you know, racing, racing training versus training to race kind of. Absolutely. Which which does happen. Yeah. So, and now you are miles and miles away from an experience and a culture and an environment that you're kind of comfortable with. So Mm -hmm. if if I'm guessing from your, both your face and what you're saying that it wasn't the most positive of experiences. uh, No.
1: And I think it, I don't blame Oregon. I think it was just my lack of um, maturity as a runner and really kind of knowing my abilities you know i think it was still a new pretty new sport to me but it just was totally different you know aside from that i love the school um eugene is just an incredible city a little the school's absolutely small than umass i liked that a lot better Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the size of the school and i met a lot of nice people there so aside from the running on the team you know there were a lot of positives that i really liked
0: so, you described going there, though, as an exchange student with the idea that it was a one year thing. So
2: yeah. so, yep. so you're, you're up- kind
0: <laughs> of tug and war there because to kind of tug of war, the running's not going, but you like the school. So help us help un- us understand a little bit how you navigated all of that,
1: yeah. so I you know i I continued to run after that first press country scene just on my own. And I really liked the academics out at University of Oregon. And I liked um, I met some nice people. I liked the campus. So I just decided that I would transfer out there and finish up my senior there at Oregon, which was great. Which,
0: which is what you did. And, yeah. and, and what was your degree in?
1: Um, it was in community service and public affairs. So kind of like a social work degree. Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: Was there any question? And and uh, that is the spring of eighty two. Is that roughly? Would mm-hmm. that be about right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Any question of where you're going to go after you got done with school?
1: No, nope. I think I decided I was coming back home.
0: Okay, <laughs> Massachusetts. Okay. And so, um, was there a job waiting? Was or were you kind of like just going home, get recentered, and then you know figure out what's next?
1: Yeah, I think it was kind of come home and get recentered for sure. Yeah. And okay. uh, yeah, so then I um, in the fall, I met um, my first husband, um, Dan Peterson at a road race. And uh, we
0: yeah. have another inflection point. Ron looked like you wanted to jump in here.
2: Well, I, I think uh, if I recall, Julie, you, you had stayed in touch with Pete during during that time or when you got back. Because I think he was, if I remember, because I worked at New Balance with him and he used to talk about you still helping you out somewhat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so when I got back in the fall, I, I knew, um, you know, that I wanted to continue running again and I met Dan at a road race and he mentioned, Hey, you know, this women's Olympic trials, you know, is is there's a going to happen in, in 84 and there's a qualifying time, you know, why don't you see if you can join Liberty, which at the time, um, was probably the best known women's running club, um, you know, on the North shore. And so I reached out uh, to Liberty and you know, started running with them at um, Lexington High School. It was so funny, the first workout I went to, I went out to Lexington and it was, it was in the winter, so it was an indoor track and it was 11 laps to the mile. And I remember first workout I went to, there was a group of women doing aerobics in the middle of the track with a, with a record player that would skip every time we ran around the track the whole workout. So it was pretty funny. And so I went to a couple workouts there. And then I realized that there was another group of runners that um, that went to um, worked out at Harvard. So I got invited to run with them, which was really great, because that was where there really were some very talented runners that I could do speed workouts with and really made a difference in terms of my fitness and starting back racing again.
0: So so how much of it was Dan, how much of it was Pete to get you to really think about moving up? Because you're, you know, if, if, if I'm hearing things right, you, you've done a few five-milers, you've done, you know, collegiate cross-country 5K. That's a huge leap between whatever is on that horizon. So it's not a, a necessarily a very a smooth or easy segue to get from point that to
1: there. Yeah. Kind of thing. And, you know, it was funny, Dan um, encouraged me to reach out to Pete. He said, I bet you he can come up with, um, you know, a marathon program for you. So I reached out to him and he set up, you know, the 16 week training program for me. And it was it was great because literally I had liberty to do my speed workouts with. And then I did, you know, all the other components either with Dan or on my own that kind of in terms of the training plan for a marathon.
3: So, so Dan wanted you to focus on the marathon when before that you really hadn't run a long long distance so and not he didn't even have in his mind that maybe you could make the I don't know what they had back then but started didn't have well that was the first uh, marathon woman trial so 84 before, yeah you can five thousand or ten thousand it was just boom you know 10,000 only uh, the marathon only. know was there a reason why he didn't want to focus on short distances or
1: because actually believe it or not in 1984 the marathon was the only option for women there was not they still weren't allowed to run the 5 or the 10k in the olympics you know it was interesting some other uh, liberty athletes that were training for the the trials and you know i was really lucky because pete literally would write me up a training program and then I would do my speed workouts, which is the hardest thing to do on your own, you know, with Liberty. And then I'd touch base with Pete every one or two weeks and tell him what I was doing and would kind of modify things. So he was more of like my mentor. I never did workouts in front of him, but kind of had, I had the training plan from him.
2: So,
0: so, but to get to the trials, you need to get a qualifier. So that means you got to run a marathon or two or three to get the qualifier. Mm -hmm. you know, to do that. So describe for us your, your baptism by fire, that first marathon of what, what the heck did that, you know, what do you take away? What do you recall from that experience?
1: Sure. Yep. So I, so I joined Liberty in the fall of 82 and was working out with them pretty regularly and starting to do some road races. So I had planned on um, running Boston with Dan. Dan had done it um, the two prior years. And at that time was a, you know, kind of an established marathoner, more so than me. And so I decided, okay, I got to run a qualifier. At that time, I had to, being in my early 20s, you had to run under 310. So I ran this Newton Garden City Marathon five weeks before Boston and ran a 308 to get my Boston qualifier. And then I ran Boston with Dan. In
0: 83?
1: In 83, yeah. <laughs> how how many weeks in between? Only five. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. So it wasn't the best of planning, you know, a little. So we looked at it as just a, you know, a long run, probably too long to run five weeks out to run a full marathon.
0: Wow. So but we, Boston is Boston. So Boston.
1: Is Boston so we went and, uh, you know, I, I was trying to run 251.16. So we figured right. out the pace that I had to run. And I ended up, you know, running step for step with Dan. I felt pretty good till Cleveland Circle, which is the long way from the finish line. <laughs> and, you know, the last couple of miles, oh, it was so hard. I bonked, you know, it was pre, pre-goo, pre-power bars, <laughs> pre-anything. And, oh, man, what a struggle it was that last, you know, five miles. I remember turning the corner at Hereford Street and Just thinking, oh, my God, I have to run up this hill. (laughs) It's just a little bit of an incline. But I ended up running um, a 250, 320. So I didn't hit the time that I wanted. But, um, you know, we had next day we were planning on what my next marathon was so I could try again.
0: Oh, so you, that didn't dampen the enthusiasm at all. So, and there wasn't a B, I mean, there wasn't a B standard. You had to hit the A a standard. That was it.
1: Yeah. Just an A standard. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I, yeah. So I regrouped and then I went um, and ran Marine Corps um, in November, had a great race there, ran a 247. So I got my qualifier, which was wonderful. What do you think
0: between Dan, who is you're seeing more regularly, and it was the one that kind of you know suggested that this is something you might be able to do, and your advisor, if we want to call Pete that, who is not with you on a day to day basis, do you think they they had seen something? What do you what do you think it was that they saw in you that said, yeah, I think she can do it?
1: Good question. I I don't know. I just really I. Always have loved to run. You know, to me, it just was something that kept me even keel. I enjoyed the training. I probably enjoyed the training more than I did the racing. But I think, you know, as you go on, as you get more experience as a runner, you learn how to control your pre-race nerves and, you know, just go out there and and do the best you can on any given day without putting a lot of pressure on you. So I think, you know, Dan loved to run. I loved to run. I was doing workouts with Liberty, which was super helpful in terms of getting me fit and you know more competitive than I had been in the past.
0: So uh, I'm guessing so. let's uh, see so you mentioned Marine Corps is in November. Hmm? The trials themselves would they have been in May in LA, May of 84 in LA. Um,
1: so actually they were in the first Olympic trials were in Olympia, Washington.
0: Oh right Oh, but well, I'm way off on that okay. yeah, that's okay. Would that have been in May though? Was that,
3: would that, have was, been a that
1: was in May of 84. Yes. Okay. And, so uh,
3: who who you, was your workout? Who, who, who planned your workouts and who whose workouts did you follow? Or?
1: So, you know, it was, I was really lucky cause what would, what would happen is Pete would give me a program. So basically it was a long run, a medium long run, you know, some races in there. Um, and then the track workouts were called VO two max workouts, you know, and then some strides. So, you know, with, with Liberty, generally there were some people that were training for road races or longer stuff. So we would just do, you know, long as I was going on the track and consistently doing like three to four miles of speed, it, Pete didn't really matter, you know, um, to him what it was. I think the other, the key things were long run, medium, long run, getting a workout in. And then what we typically we would do is we'd take four months and map out this is what you're going to do every week you know and plug some races in there and so i think you know the hardest thing for me probably was always getting on the track so it was great to have a group of people to push yourself with because i you know i would always much rather go out and run 13 miles than i would to do speed workout on the track so and, and Dan, could, I could run with him. And he was, at the time, he was he was a better runner than I was um, when we first started dating. He had run 242. He was, you know, he was.
0: Oh, he's get, he must be getting nervous now because, you know, yeah, his girlfriend exactly. is starting to. You know. <laughs> um, it, it, it strikes me, though, and I, this is just a light bulb moment. I don't know why it took me so long to process this. But as you're getting, you know, between November and getting ready for May and Olympia, he, by the same token, is getting ready himself for his breakthrough race
1: Absolutely.
0: at, at Skylon. Yeah. And, you know, John and Ron, you know, you you guys were kind of involved with that. Do you have any sense as to how he compartmentalized? I'm sorry, I know this is a little bit of a, a one-off, but, um, you know, he's got his own training to worry about, and yet he's advising and, and, and laying out a plan for Julie at the same time. Do you have any recollection of... And then working, right? So. Um...
2: Yeah, so that that uh, build up to the Olympic trials that year. He left, I think, in November, early November timeframe in 83 to New Zealand, and okay. he came back in, in March. So he did, you know, the Waitakere range and all the Ligure training down there. And I think Tom Rackliffe was down there for some time with him as well as a, maybe a few others. Um, when he got back, I think he actually got bronchitis like right away in March. And so that set him back a little bit, but he trained really, really hard. And there were a number of people, this was at River Street in West Newton at the time. And John was there. There were plenty of people to train with. So I think it worked out well for them that he had that support there. But he he, he did, um, if I remember correctly, like. You know the Kevin Ryan routine: long, long run on the weekend, and two medium-long runs during yeah. the week. So, and uh, most of the runs were pretty fast.
3: Yeah, yeah. He, Nobody he, wanted to. Yeah. Even like Bruce Bickford used to say, "I'm not, I'm not running with with uh, with uh, Pete." He's. It runs too hard, you know, this it is, runs this is too hard. Yeah. Well,
0: and there's something said for that, right? So, so Julie, it's, it you know, it, as we kind of follow the arc here, um, you know, do you feel like you recovered well from Marine Corps, but it's not like your health for the first time is a hundred percent as you're getting closer and closer to Olympia itself, right?
1: Yeah. So I ended up getting um, plantar fasciitis one of many left foot oh, injuries God. in my life. Oh, my it's the only God. thing that's ever been an issue is my left foot. And so, you know, if you've ever had plantar fasciitis, you know, it hurts at rest, but then you go out and run and it, it, the pain lessens as you use your, you know, as you're running, and then it kills you afterwards, but you just keep doing it again and again. So and, I
0: And how long, how, how far into your buildup was this hap was this? You, you know, I, it?
1: I wish I could recall. I just remember going to this podiatrist, um, Ken Chaser and Beverly and him doing ultrasound on my foot. And I'm trying to tape it up and, you know, just suck it up and run with an injury, which, you know, looking back, I hadn't gone to PT school yet. So I didn't realize I really should have just rested it. (laughs) So I was pretty stupid, but you know, I, I got out to Olympia um, and just, I remember on the starting line, Dan saying to me, whatever you do, finish the race, you know, even if you have to walk. So I had a pretty humbling experience that day in the Olympic Trials. But the it,
0: first ever Olympic first Trials. First ever.
1: Oh, and it was such a marvelous experience. It just um, it was out in Olympia, Washington. The There was a St. Martin's College that they called the Olympic Trials Village that all the athletes got to stay at. We had a host family, you know, from Olympia. Nike sent you the biggest box of clothing and swag you ever saw. You really felt like you were an Olympian there. It was just, it was just pretty amazing time and event.
0: Was that, was the field roughly about a hundred or am I imagining it? Was that, Um, does that sound right guys?
1: No, the field was pretty big. I think, um, was
0: bigger than that. Okay. Yeah.
1: I think 246 women qualified. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I think, or it even might've even been higher than that. And I, I think 240, something like that, 246 qualified, only a hundred I think 40 women dropped out only 190 okay. finished. And I was way far in the back. I think I came in 186. I ran at like a 306, but Little did I know, I'm so glad I finished that race because I just remember my foot really bothering me and I'm sure I was limping.
0: What, so can you think back or, or what was your recollection? You know, Dan's there, presumably at the finish line or close to it. Yeah. What, do you remember what you felt when you finally? you know, cross that line and knew that it was done. You could, you know, throbbing foot probably. Yeah, right? exactly.
1: Yeah. You know, a huge sense of relief, you know, a little disappointment in myself, obviously, um, from probably overtraining and getting injured. But um, it was just great to be part of that experience and not really realizing the significance till kind of looking back now, like, wow. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. How do you look back at it
0: now with you know, all this time in between?
1: Yeah, I just, um, you know, I'm just so glad to have had the opportunity to be there and be part of it. I mean, that's the beauty of the trials, you know, that so many people can line up. And, you know, it really is a crap shot um, in terms of who's going to place one, two or three. But just to be part of that was just wonderful. And then, you know, on top of that, for Joni, to pull it off and um, not knowing her well, but, you know, knowing her, seeing her at Harvard, the track, you know, before the race and, and just, um, you know, what she overcame in terms of um, having a knee injury and having arthroscopic knee surgery, 17 days before the race was pretty impressive.
0: (laughs) I I remember reading, you know, reading explanations of that. And they talk about, you know, I guess it was arthroscopy, but there was still this, she describes, you know, an audible snap once they cut it, you know, cut off whatever or you know,
1: uh, yeah. Earlier, yeah gonna band. I think she had an issue. Yeah. With. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Yeah, yeah but yeah. and but, we would uh, hear at the track. You know, she would be swimming in the pool, and literally, she had green hair. She was so she swam so much to just, you know, keep maintain her fitness. She was a wow. worker. Woo.
0: Wow. So it's fair to say uh, in retrospect, I suppose, that, you know, once you, um, your body was healing a bit following 84, nothing had really dissipated the desire to keep going. Um, help us, help us, give us a sense of what you did, you know, in the aftermath. Um,
1: yeah, so I, you know, I continued to, um, you know, think about trying the marathon again, especially after that being kind of disappointed in how I did, so I then, um, Put my sights on um the Columbus Marathon and I ran that. I don't think I ran one in 85, but in 86 I went and ran the Columbus Marathon, Columbus, Ohio, and um, you know, had a had a breakthrough again from from Marine Corps. I think I ran a 242, so I dropped five. Okay. Oh, my- that's
0: big. That's big. So that's that brings it to a different level.
1: Yep. And I just remember it was really funny. This woman, Jennifer Martin, who had finished behind me at Columbus, came up to me after the race and said, you, you couldn't have possibly run the whole race. She said, you, my boyfriend said you look too good at the finish. And I just remember, are you kidding me? I ran every step of that. And as as luck would have it, as I started doing more and more race and races, I would see her at different races. And about a year later, she apologized to me and realized I wasn't a, I wasn't a Rosie Ruiz. I really oh had.
0: my gosh. Well, but that was still in the, that was still very much in the consciousness, right? I mean, Absolutely. it wasn't that many years before. Oh my goodness. Wow. Exactly. Wow. So so let's fast forward then a little bit. So you've you've had that breakthrough, 242. Yep. Yep. Um, That's five, you know, five minutes. Did that open the door to more sponsorship or did it open up additional training opportunities for you? How How did that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'm trying to think I probably was getting shoes at that time from Saucony and Power Bar, I think, was another sponsor. And basically, I think what they were looking for every year is, you know, what have you done this past year? Were you in the newspaper? You know, did you run some big races? How did you do? So I, I don't know if it really opened up. Anything specifically at that time, and it seemed like I ran um, that around 2:42 a couple of races before I finally um, okay. made another jump. Okay. And in 1991, I decided that I was going to do the London Marathon, and it and it just happened to be it was a um, World Championship race that year. Uh, okay. So, so the U.S. now was sending a women's team. Um, And I'm not sure how I heard about it. But what they would typically do is you would um, to get on a US team, you'd send, you know, they'd have a window opening in terms of time. And if you ran a certain time within within that window, you'd have an opportunity to be on the team. So unfortunately, I didn't get on that London marathon team for the US. But when I ran the race, I ended up breaking 240 for the first time and coming in third American. So they used me to, on their scoring team, which which helped me in the long run. I think I was a little like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Um, I didn't get to run for the team. Um, you know, I had to pay my own expenses. But, you know, I didn't complain, which was good, because the phone rang after after London to be on um, an equine relay team. So that was a great thing. That was a great experience.
0: Well, I'm going to bank, and maybe John will tease this out um, in, in his show running uh, role, that a lot of people aren't particularly familiar with the notion of an akadent. And could you take a few minutes and describe what that experience was like? And it sounds like even though, you know, you were speaking English in London, it sounds like that akadent experience did not have a lot of English connected to it.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yep. So um, I'm not sure how long they had had them before this opportunity came along, but it was it was a six person um, relay team and you covered the marathon distance. So I believe there were three women that were gonna run a 5K, two women that were gonna run a 10K, and then there was a runner who ran a 7K. So I went over there on a, a six person team. It was um, a relay and you actually, instead of using a baton, you wore a sash that you would hand off to the, to the next runner. I was the fifth leg when I did it. And um, it was an amazing trip. It was a nine day trip. We flew from, or I flew from Boston to Chicago to San Francisco. And then I took a flight that was 11 hours to Tokyo And then another four-hour flight to Beijing. So it was was a long way. But there were, you know, the team consisted of women from all over the United States. I remember um, Joy Smith, who I knew from Texas was there. Um, This marathon and Gordon Block from New York. Um, Liz Wilson, who was a good Oregon runner, um, was on the team. So we just had just a great experience. Beijing, um, it was in March of It was in March of 92. And it was very, um, it was very cold there. They heated by coal. Um, We all came home with respiratory infections, but it was so amazing. It was a city of bikes. There were thousands of bikes everywhere. And I remember when we first got there, I was like, wow, it seemed like a time warp in terms of it was kind of gray and just gloomy, but it was just a great Experience
0: now, um, you you said that was in the early spring or r- roughly this time frame in, in 1992. Yes. And yeah, so, yeah, March of 20. Yeah, yeah, so which means, and since you had the you, you had your PR at London less than what less than seven months previous,
3: mm-hmm.
0: that means you're in for the trials, right? For 92, right.
1: yeah.
0: So, we've done you, you know, you survived 84, you ran 88, and that's a that was a tough course, and and mm-hmm. you are now getting ready for. Uh, 92 so what by that point you've probably learned some things about your body and and you know the right balance of, of some of the various training elements what do you remember about the build-up uh, given where the echidon fit relative to the the uh, uh, trials mar- or the marathon trial itself
1: yeah you know if if i look back i really think i was coming into you know my own in terms of my best running i think i you know, was consistently training pretty well with the help of Liberty and, you know, racing and just having some more success with racing and getting more confident. And in, in being able to tolerate, I guess, a little more the work involved, you know, in, in the late 80s, I went back to school and got a physical therapy degree. So I think that was, you know, I was still racing during that time. But I think in the early 90s, I was through a school. You know, I was working. I was able to um, just con- train more consistently. I remember I was working for a Leahy Clinic at the time, and they would let me take a chunk of time in the middle of the day to train, which made a huge difference, especially in the winter yeah. to get my running in.
0: So, it, uh, as as you and I think I may have gotten my dates a little bit off, it, it sounds like maybe the trials happened before the Econin. Did, did, did I get that mixed up or?
1: No, no, you were right.
0: I was right. Okay. Yeah. So, so describe that race. Cause isn't that one of if you look at all of your five Olympic trial qualifiers, nope. right. Is yeah. this the one that stands out? Is this the, is this the apex from your? From I, your
1: I think it is, you know, I was really lucky. I, I decided, I think back, you know, in the early nineties that our winters were really kind of tough around here more so than they are now. And even in the eighties. And so I decided um, to go to um, Houston before the before the trials and train there and, and do a couple of races in early January. And I did, I went out there for about 12 days, stayed with um, a family that my, my dad knew from someone that worked for him and, you know, got, got a 5K, I mean, got a five mile in got a 10K in, just really training a little bit harder and just focusing on, on the running. So I think that really helped me
0: were was Dan with you at this point or um,
1: so I went out there by myself yep okay so married yep it was pretty okay. yeah and um just um you know had the ability the ability to really um focus on on training
0: and and I'm sorry just to kind of connect the dots uh you and Dan got married what year
1: um we got married in 85
0: in 85 so, okay so yeah. you've been you've been married for a while you had that that, that, that uh, support, uh, you know, for, and and so this was really coming to its really, yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your memories of the race. Um, Yeah. So
1: it was funny. I, you know, my plan um, with Pete was to try to um, run the first half, run 550 pace, and then the second half go to, you know, try to run six minute pace. And I remember starting the race and it was interesting in Houston. It wasn't a great day. It was, it was humid. It was a little rainy. And I remember my racing flats being kind of slippery. They were colored on the bottom. And the way that I ran, I was like, oh, I wish the ground wasn't wet. But I ended up the first half not feeling that great, but I, I really wasn't comfortable running five fifties. I was running like five fifty fives, but I remember I felt better, like when I got to the half marathon and I just started picking off people. And I think at that point I was like 18th place and Mm -hmm. I moved up, you know, the last half marathon up five spots. So that was great. It, you know, it's nice when you feel good in a race where you can just start to pick people off. So I feel like I didn't feel that great, but I hung in there and then all of a sudden I was probably more relaxed and just better the second half of the race. So that was fun.
0: So it, it sounds like a page from Jack Foltz. It's kind of like you're just relaxation, uh, you know, mm-hmm. especially that second half seemed to be you're in the yeah. flow or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was a special. That
0: was no, special. That's neat. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Well, it, and and um, I was remiss in not mentioning earlier that you, you, as you mentioned, you and Dan got married in, 80, in 85, and it sounds like uh, life took a different turn. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that long after uh, the trials in 92.
1: Yep, exactly. So, um, you know, I ended up getting pregnant and we had Andrea, my only daughter, was born the next July, which was wonderful. And um, yeah, so after that, it was kind of nice when I was pregnant. I, I stopped running probably about three or four months into my pregnancy. So I think it was the first time my body had really had a rest, which it probably needed <laughs> in a while. So after I had her, you know, and had a little break, kind of came back um to running and actually, you know, ran some PRs, the half marathon and um marathon distance. Um Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um can you can you take a moment now because I know it's such a uh, it, you know it is it, it it's a part of you. Um tell us a little bit about Dan at this juncture. Yeah. Um yeah. and you know, into the you know now your parents um he's still doing how many consecutive bostons did he end up
1: doing so he ended up I think his first Boston was in 1981. So every year um, that was Dan's race. That was his day to be the star in the family as he would say it. So I only ran Boston with him one time. And you know, it's funny cause he was a really good downhill runner and I cannot say the same. I would much rather run up Mount Washington than I would run downhill. So he would do Boston every year. And oh my goodness, for him, that was a rite of spring. He looked forward to that race. Early, early on we would get a, um, on the day of the race, we'd get a stretch limo. When when he first started doing the marathon, he was working uh, for the Salem Evening News as an account executive. So he would get these giant press passes. We would stick them in the window of the limo and hope when we got out to Hopkinton, we'd be able to get through all the police stops to drive right into Hopkinton, which early days we were able to. So. We had a lot of fun every year we would go and um, Andrea and a couple of friends and we'd, you know, we'd have sometimes we had two limos and we would drop the athletes off and then um, one of the limos would drive to the um, halfway point, which was usually like Nike Wellesley, catch the race there, catch our runners, you know, whoever was with us in that um, convoy, and then get on the mass pike and head into the finish. So oh, nice. it really was a lot of fun. As I think I might've told you, Dan um, in 91 had uh, a melanoma on his chest and Mm. um, we were really lucky. It didn't, he didn't have a reoccurrence until about 2000. So that kind of changed the trajectory of, of life a little bit in terms of um, dealing with um, the reoccurrence of that, his cancer.
0: So, so in between, and thank you for you know setting yeah. that uh, that that framework. So in between, you've got these you know these really positive connections with Boston, and there's also another Olympic trials in there. Mm-hmm. We've got '96, okay. you know, yeah. And, and so Andrea is roughly three years old. Um, That had to be an interesting, uh, you know, so, you know, she's moved from toddler to, you know, infant, um, probably running all over the house and everything. And you, your parents juggling work and training and a kid. And so that's
1: not easy. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Getting a little harder um, as she got a little older. And um, so in in 96, I was getting ready to to run the trials again. And that was going to be my fourth time. It was in Columbia, South Carolina. And the day before we were going to be flying out, I gave Andrea a bath in the afternoon. And um, when we were finished, I was coming downstairs, the phone was ringing and the plumbing from the tub had a backup problem into a sink downstairs. So the aluminum foil in our floor in our kitchen got flooded. I came down the stairs, the phone was ringing. I rushed and I slammed my knee into a door frame. Um, oh, I, I can't even tell you. So upsetting. And my knee swelled up. It looked like a grapefruit, it was so huge. So I iced it. Next day, we get on a plane, we fly to um, Columbia, South Carolina. And fortunately, because of the trials, you know, a lot of people sometimes have. Nagging um, issues prior pri- prior to the race. Um, they had some athletic trainers there and some PTs. So I, for the next couple of days, put E-STEM on my knee, iced my knee, took anti-inflammatories, did everything I could and. I was really lucky. I think if it was a day earlier, I probably wouldn't have been able to run. But that happened on a Tuesday night. The race was Saturday and I tried running for the first time on Friday. I was able to run wow. about 25 minutes and said, you know what, I'm going to get out there and do the best I can. So.
0: All right. I, I got to ask what your your mindset is.
1: Oh, it was terrible. I, I was I was worried sick. You know, I just, you know, it it's one of those things that just sometimes things happen that you can't plan for. And I think I was, you know, I was pretty fit. I was racing pretty well at the time. So I just said, you know what, get out there and just do the best you can. And um, you know, that was kind of my mindset. And I ended up, you know, I ended up doing okay. I ran, you know, a 243, which considering the shape that my knee was in. Um, I, you know, I was disappointed, but I wasn't disappointed with, you know, my time and was able to finish.
0: So as you look back now, um, you know, decades afterwards, mm-hmm. what do you what do you think about when you think back to that race? You think about the pain that you were in. You've got a golf ball or a, or a grapefruit sized knee going through that. What does what do you think? Either um, in, in in review, do you think you were crazy? Do you think you were, you know, what do you think about what is it? What what does that memory conjure up for you? Maybe that's what I'm trying to ask.
1: You know, I think um, it probably conjures up, you know, on any d- given day, do you do the best you can? I think if it was an Olympic trial, I probably would have passed on the race, but. You know, okay. I had this posse of people. I remember Pete went out there. My parents went out there. We had friends out oh. there. It was really a big deal. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to get out there and just try, you know, see, see okay. what I can do. So I think I just had the mindset, do the best you can.
0: Do you Which, think, to, do you think to today that Andrea, did she have any memories of that or was she too young?
1: Um, I think she probably does. She had a lot of fun going to, um, a lot of the races okay. with us. So I think she does probably remember going down to you, Columbia. Do you,
0: that's cool. No, I just no. was curious. Yeah. Cause that's, it's the toughest thing to do, right? You're walking on one leg and yet you're going to then run 26. That just doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't add up. Yeah. So you come back from that experience. You probably had to, um, and we're going to have to tighten and, and, you know, uh, wind this down in a little bit here now you've moved on you're at a different place in life um post 96 you've you've got a growing family and um yet we know that there's one more marathon trial in you but this segues it presumably segues a little bit back now more towards dan is that fair to say
1: yeah i would say it was you know We were really lucky, you know, in terms of um, Dan's treatment and whatnot. So when he, when he had a reoccurrence in 2000, um, it went from being a stage one melanoma to a stage four, which was pretty serious. So he ended up um, getting into a drug trial at Beth Israel Deaconess and really was very lucky because he was cancer free again for about two and a half years on this treatment um, that he was doing of interferon and a mecclesin vaccine so you know we just kept living our lives uh, the best we could and you know I kept running and um, at that time my good friend Mimi Fallon had started running with with Bob Seveny. and she said hey why don't you why don't you see if he'll take you on as an athlete so I kind of switched switched from Liberty. And I ran for a short time for, um, Fred Tressler right after I had Andrea because Liberty had a switch up in coaches. And so I, um, joined up with him and he was very, um, great coach. Very, it was very, very intense. A lot of, he really focused on his athletes, had a lot of control of what they did for racing and was super committed to, um, to his athletes in terms of not only a track workout, but a Saturday morning tempo run. And I think I probably got as fit as I ever could have been, you know, under his tutelage because he worked us harder than anybody else I had ever trained with.
2: So
0: since that's a name that that people will recognize, those that our, our, our uh, audience will recognize, and obviously Fitzinger is a name that our audience is gonna recognize, uh, how would you compare the two and their their two approaches? I mean, I I think of Sev and I don't know him at, at all really. I thought I always thought of him more as a a, a track and and road
1: kind Absolutely. of coach and more I think so yes. than the marathon. Yeah, so I you know when I approached him, I was in my late thirties and I I feel like he was a little hesitant to take me on as his athlete because he really did love track and field but Mimi was running with him. And so I think he said, Oh, I'll, I'll give this Julia shot. And um, it was so interesting when you went to his workouts, because he wouldn't, if you were doing a track workout, he wouldn't necessarily tell you how many intervals you were doing. (laughs) So you get there and you'd be like, okay, what are we doing? You you know, like he, he wouldn't say, okay, tonight we're running five times a mile. He'd just say, okay, we're going to do repeat miles. So I think sometimes he would look to, Decide when you had had enough, but man was that hard because I like to check things off as I go along. Uh-huh. it's a little hard to do a speed workout when you don't know when it's going to end and how much effort to put into your intervals.
0: Well, maybe that was part of it right there. I know.
1: So, it just meant mentally make you tougher, I guess.
0: You know, a far cry from those days at Amherst where you weren't going to eat lunch because you weren't sure what was going to happen. Huh?
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then on Saturday mornings, he would every Saturday, he would have a run at in Lincoln, Mass, which the speed limit there is about 20 miles an hour. And we would do this 4.6 mile hilly loop on the roads in Lincoln, and he would drive his car every miles, you know, yell out splits to everybody. And uh, he was um, an interesting coach. But one thing that he did that I never did with Pete, which I think was really instrumental for me at the age of 38 of, of qualifying for a trial, is he did these runs, they were called um, predicted marathon pace runs. So if you were gonna try to run, say a 6.10 pace, in your training, you would do progressively longer runs at that marathon pace. Because when you think about it, your long runs would be a lot slower. Your speed workout would be a lot faster. And then even your shorter road races were faster. So it was unbelievable when I went to grandma's in, must've been 98. There were three of us trying to qualify. Um, Mimi, who was coached by him, a woman named Cheryl Collins and myself, and literally we were like metrodomes. We all ran like exactly what that P, you know, that predicted marathon pace. Interesting. Was. And I was like, wow, this, there's really something to that.
0: Interesting. I don't know if
1: a lot of people do that.
0: Yeah, well, it certainly, so that was, uh, that was uh, 94 excuse me, What um, was
1: that? No, that was 98. Yeah, 98. So before, I'm sorry. I'm
0: before sorry. Before the
1: so, 2000 trials.
0: Yeah. Before the 2000 trials. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, and is that, and that was at grandma's. So was that the two third, that was your all-time PR? Is that right?
1: No, I ran my PR in, um, I want to say that would have been 95 at grandma's.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, so right. it was a few years, a few but years nevertheless, ahead. but given the age of 38, there, there was really something to that, mm-hmm. that almost like, acclimation to whatever that pace was that was built hard baked into the training. That's something.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we've done, we've, we've charted the four, four out of the five, help us if you could, and and we are running uh, uh, long on time, Yep. but help us navigate what had to be a really, um, you know, challenging time for you with Dan, with Andre at rowing and um, that final those final bids 2000 and 2004 and yeah and all of that
1: yeah so 2000 um again the trials were um back at columbia south carolina which was really great because i like oh good i'm gonna run here again and maybe do a little better than i did in 96 given the state of my knee that day was really hot it started out um, 70 degrees and it went up to 86 degrees and i ended up doing okay i, I placed 43rd and ran a a 249 Mm -hmm. so it it was what it was Um, I think the the weather was a huge factor you know along with now that I'm 40 years old and I think you know I wasn't I was definitely beyond my marathon peak for sure Mm -hmm. and just different things going on in our lives with Dan um, at that stage his health
0: and 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 does that and and that kind of arc kind of continue through you know (laughs) Up to 2004 and 2005.
1: Absolutely. Yep. So um, I think when I got into my early 40s, and I think Dan's health was starting to take a turn, I really, um, competing became less of a priority for me, for sure. And, you know, I think it's one thing to go out and run for fitness, but it takes a different level of commitment to be able to race and want, and want to race. You know, you got you to gotta do the work for sure. So I think my priorities were kind of changing. Dan had really wanted me to try to see if I could qualify one more time. And I, you know, I kind of struggled that with that a little bit mentally, you know, I, at that stage, I was kind of a little burnt out. But yeah. it's like, okay, I will, I will try again. So for the 2004 trials, which would have been numbers, um, six, after, um, after number five, there were only four of us in the country who had qualified for and finished all five. Wow. So it was like, okay, see if you can do it one more time. So I first I started out and my plan was to go to um, Las Vegas, they have a point to point kind of downhill course known to be really fast. So I show up there and um, the day of the race, there were um, 20 to 30 mile winds in the desert with tumbleweeds blowing across the road. Oh my God, sand flying everywhere. So I ran, I ran, I think the first 10 miles, I was totally off pace. I said, I'm gonna shut it down. This isn't, is isn't gonna happen. So I got home and we decided, I'm sure Pete had some influence on this. Okay, you're fit you know, let's, let's give it another shot. So two weeks later, I went to um, Motorola uh, marathon in Austin, Texas. And now I think I was really running scared. So I ended up running a little too fast in that race, the first half. And um, I think I had to run a 248. And I ended up running, what did I do at Motorola? I think I ran a 251 what did you need you needed a 240, 248 248 yeah 248 okay. so i was clearly off and i think i had to I think i had to run like 625 pace per mile to oh. to do to pull that off and just went out too hard and then kind of paid the price at the end so that fall i said okay i'm going to give it one more shot we we flew to chicago <laughs> to run wow. the chicago marathon in october and um and I ran there, did not have a great race. I don't think I was really mentally into it. I ended up running a 254 and that was my last, last attempt. We had a great trip. You know, we went out, Dan and Andrew and I, and my friend Mimi Fallon, her husband and my parents. I mean, it was a great time, but I just didn't, didn't have it mentally. It just, you got to want it and you got to just, just wasn't in the cards. So that was, um, that was the end of my marathon journey.
0: Well, but, but what a what a journey it was, and to this day, do you know how many did that number stay the first five that or rather the that you were the among the t- the first five to do the first five?
1: Yeah, and that, I think Bev Darkerty was the only one to get number six, so it was wow. um, the the four of us it was myself um jane well Jane Wellesl, um Janice Edel, who was an Olympian and myself, and I think Bev Docherty, I think she was from Florida, was the only one who got it. But uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I just, um, it was really, I'd called it my string of pearls. Like every four years, I would be like, okay, can I do this again? So it was, it was just a dream that was really kind of fun to, to go after and, and see if I could qualify.
0: On that note, I think it's time for us to uh, close down this podcast. It's been an absolute delight to have this conversation with a five-time Olympic Trials Marathon qualifier. How many miles, Julie, in a lifetime of running must that represent? It's gotta be, it's really a mind-boggling number. But it, on behalf of, of John Gorman and Ron Galuli, thank you so much for spending time this late afternoon. We wish you all the best, and hopefully you'll be cheering on uh, Boston from a different location this time around as a spectator and enjoying it. And so thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Julie. Thanks, Julie. Bye, you guys.